Monday night, May 6th at the Hyatt Regency in San Francisco. You're invited to join athletes and celebs at the Bay Area Sports Hall of Fame Enshrinement Dinner. Be there to celebrate this year's class featuring Olympic swimmer Jenny Thompson, San Jose Earthquakes legend Chris Wondolowski, Niners Super Bowl hero John Taylor, Sharks icon Patrick Marlowe, and the architect of the Giants dynasty, Brian Sabian. Be a part of this star-studded evening benefiting Special Olympics Northern California. To purchase tickets, visit Bayshoff.org. That's B-A-S-H-O-F.org. We're getting you ready for the game on The Build-Up with news from around the league, interviews, highlights, and more. Here's your host, Ted Ramey. You know, sort of bittersweet, I think, that, uh, um, you know, I just heard the news myself at 9.30 and uh, um, had no idea this was going on today. Um, so I guess it's a little bit of, uh, I think, um, a little stunning news, I guess. Um, Doug means a lot to me personally. Um you know, I know he's uh, what he's done with this organization and, and, and uh, you know, his legacy, um, you know, is, is tough to compare. I think that, uh, um, you know, a lot of people in that dressing room, including myself, have a lot to be thankful to Doug for. And, uh, um, you know, it's, a, I guess, a changing of the guard. And, uh, you know, we're trying to get our head around that still. But, uh, um, you know, I, I think today, if anything, after this announcement that we, uh, for me anyway, personally, I, I, I think of this as, you know, sort of celebrating Doug's legacy and what he's done here as a, as a player, um, you know, as part of uh, management, as a general manager, um, the success that he's brought to this organization. And really, he's, he's you know, I think if there's one name you could think that's built this uh, uh, franchise from the, from the, um, you know, from the bottom up, it's Doug. And, uh, you know, he's had great support from ownership over the years. And, uh, um, you know, so it's a, it's a, it's a bit of a shock and a stunner. And, uh, um, you know, the good thing is, is that, uh, um, what I'd like to say to him personally is just is to wish him all the best and thank him, um, for everything that he's done for me. And, and, uh, you know, and, and hopefully his road to recovery is, is, is a healthy one and a happy one, really. All right, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome as we get ready for tonight's game against Calgary. Of course, everything uh, being turned on its head this morning with the announcement that Doug Wilson is stepping down as the general manager of the San Jose Sharks. That was Bob Bugner bringing us in, giving us his thoughts about everything. Um, We will have more programming coming out about all of this with regard to the Doug Wilson news. I was able to talk with Pierre Lebrun, and we're going to hear a little bit of that sound here today. Uh, You're going to hear from Joe Will. You're going to hear from Jonathan Becker. You're going to hear from Dan Rusinowski. But that's going to come in something different than today's program, except for some sound from Pierre Lebrun in my interview that I did with him earlier today to talk about all this news. We are also going to talk with Jadobia Wuzier, of course, uh, the now member of the Cincinnati Bengals from San Jose, was drafted by the Dallas Cowboys after going to college at Colorado. Uh, He's going to be at the game tonight as uh, we're celebrating the uh, man from San Jose who is now one of the premier corners in the NFL. So we're excited to have him on as well. Uh, But right now I was going to get into that interview uh, with Pierre Lebron talking about what now is next for the San Jose Sharks. You know, now it's life after Doug. I mean, that's what this uniquely presents as for San Jose. Well, and I don't want to read between the lines too much, uh, Ted, but I got to tell you that when I read his statement on this day, and, and it was the very last sentence, and it, it talked about how he plans to be back in the NHL one day, I read that to mean that, you know, it might be time for a new chapter in his career one day with another organization. And that's okay, by the way. And, and so I, I kind of 
sense that him stepping down as Sharks GM was also saying goodbye to San Jose. And maybe I'm wrong about that, but I feel like when his health permits, and you know, we'll see when that is. I suspect that this will be more, you know, a Jim Rutherford-like return, where Jim Rutherford, after all those years in Carolina and Pittsburgh, resurfaces not as a GM but as a president of hockey operations in Vancouver this year in a mentor role to a young GM in Vancouver, right? I wonder if that's not the path ahead for Doug Wilson with another organization one day as a more uh, as a president of hockey somewhere. I think that would fit him well at this point of his career. I think he's still got lots to give to the game, uh, but but I don't see that being as a GM myself. In the immediate future for the San Jose Sharks, what's next for them? Where does this GM search take them? I know that we heard you know a little bit from you know President Jonathan Becker and now acting to interim GM Joe Will. They talked about wanting to look externally to see essentially what they don't. You know, the, a, a different perspective uh, was their way of. Uh, putting it and looking at things from a, a new angle per se, but that wasn't to say that they didn't have those answers already internally. They just wanted to look externally as well. You know, were there names that jumped to the top of your list? I mean, I know Jonathan Becker joked about it. He said, I'm sure you all will compile the lists for us for the names in the next couple of days, which I thought that was a, a, a clever bit of awareness from, uh, from JB there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and listen, I mean, I think a lot of the names are names that you've seen that got interviews over the past year in, in Vancouver and Chicago and Montreal, certainly, and again, I haven't, this all happened today, so I haven't started poking around that yet. But, but you know, one name that jumps out to me only because he was runner-up in Montreal and he was runner-up for the gym job in Vancouver is Matthew Darst, right-hand man to Julian Breezeball in Tampa Bay with mm-hmm. the back-to-back Stanley Cup champions. Really smart guy. Um, and in fact, if memory serves, I think he was once a member of the uh, Sharks uh, HL organization as a player, but uh, I might be wrong about that. Um, and so I think those are the type of names you hear, but, but my sense overall uh, from a 10,000 feet above perspective is that the Sharks intent on this, this being a really uh, long and detailed search where they're not going to rush into things and, and make sure that they're patient and wait on names if they have to. And know that, you know, Joe Will and the rest of that current front office, which has been running the team for five months anyway, uh, they can run the whole offseason if they have to. They don't have to rush into this. So I I think this will be, you know, I think the Sharks are really going to take their time with this. They did, uh, they being Jonathan Becker, reiterated their stance that they, whoever comes in, that they don't envision themselves doing a long-term rebuild uh, akin to what we've seen with the Ducks or the Red Wings that they plan on using their picks and sticking right. with their core players. Um, does that limit the pool at all? It's a good question, uh, and it's something that I was told today as well about this. And, and I wonder, because I think really what what's going to happen is I think that is going to be made explicitly clear to candidates that that there's no scorched earth there, that... that you know, the moment the Sharks signed Thomas Hurdle to an eight-year extension, it kind of laid the, the firm the path ahead, I think, uh, that this isn't a rebuild. That, that the Sharks, like we talked about earlier, uh, are going to continue to try and, and, and retool on the fly like they always have. And and whether you believe that's the right path or not, I think it's clear that's what Asher Blattner wants. And, you know, are there candidates that are going to look at that as limiting their ability to do what they want? Maybe. Maybe, but I would also say that I think the Sharks' GM job is viewed as a plum assignment around the NHL. Mm-hmm. 
And I, I think there's going to be no shortage of people wanting to get in and interview for that job. In, in a final one on this one, the culture of Doug Wilson is talked about so consistently um, from the players to, you know, everybody in the front office to the fan base. Um, you know, he, he dug very much. And I think this goes back from him being welcomed into the Makita household back when he was first entering the NHL. He wants everybody to feel welcome. And that seems very, that was emphasized in um, when talking about Doug today in that press conference. Do you think the next GM I mean, not only do they have a high bar to meet, but do you think that that has to be part of their um, assignment to be part of a a continuation of that culture that exists? I think so. I I think that's an important part of Doug Wilson's legacy. But I will also say that I think part of the reason they want to have such a detailed external search is I think the Sharks also know, through no fault of their own, but just because this is what's going on in pro sports, that they perhaps need to also modernize the front office to some degree. And, and again, not because they're behind, but just because this is what's happening in hockey and other sports where, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if this isn't just about a gym hire, but perhaps more than one hire that, that this is about making all the pieces fit. And, and, you know, I, I think Joe will going to be a big part of that moving forward, but I, you know, I'll just give you an example, but you know, Montreal didn't just go out and hire one person to replace Mark Bergeron when they fired him. They they hired Jeff Gordon and Ken Hughes, right? Mm-hmm. So, and, and I'm not saying per se that's what the Sharks are going to do, but but I think that San Jose is entering this unique window, unique because, you know, it's the first time in 19 years they're looking for a new hockey boss, that they have a chance to to, to, to rejig things. And, and I think they're going in with an, with an open mind that way. Pierre, thank you for your time so much as always. Keep up the great work, and I hope that I can bug you again for an interview soon. All right, my friend? Sounds good. All right. Thanks for having me. Again, that is Pierre Lebrun of TSN and The Athletic joining us here on the Sharks Audio Network, and we will have more from Lebrun on our special about Doug Wilson stepping down, more of his thoughts on Joe's legacy as opposed to what you heard there, which is maybe what is next for the San Jose Sharks. I told you earlier that we were going to be joined by Jadobia Wuzier, and we have him right here on the line. We are joined by the Cincinnati Bengals, hailing from the city of San Jose. Jadobia, what's going on, man? Man, doing real well. Excited to uh, be with you guys and, you know, see the Sharks play and get this victory. Yeah, man, it would be, it would be nice. And I am, uh, I am glad the uh, the Bay Area is showing some, uh, some love to you, man, because obviously what you've been able to do uh, – with your career up to this point, man, you know, coming out of San Jose, you know, San Jose is, is a hotbed of athleticism. Like we have a number of, of, of stud athletes, but the fact that, you know, you've been able to, you know, make it to this point in your NFL career and, you know, be playing for franchises like the Cowboys and with the Bengals now in the Super Bowl, man, like, is, is it a trip? Do you kind of, you kind of have to pinch yourself to remind yourself like, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm killing it in the NFL here. Like this is, this is my hard work, you know, paying off. Yeah, you know, it's truly a blessing and uh, I don't take it for granted at all. Um, you know, it's funny because going into the Super Bowl, I, I was prepared, you know, I, was, I felt like I was locked in and I was ready. But, you know, a day before the game, you know, I was reminiscing at the days of Oak Grove, you know, Southside San Jose, you know, the games that I was playing and, you know, we, we were able to go to the playoffs my senior year, then we ended up losing the game. And I was crying like a baby after the game, man. That was the first time I really had a chance to play for um, a championship with a team I felt like we could have won. And, you know, when I got the opportunity again, you know, it just really, you know, hit me at that moment. Like, wow, Sheeta, look, look how far you've taken this game. You know, look at what this game 
um, has done for you. Look how far you, uh, you've taken it. And uh, it was just an amazing experience, you know, and it's still something, even though we lost, that I hold dear to my heart. Yeah, well, I mean, if if that's something that you're still, you know, trying to deal with, uh, you know, how hard is it to get over the Super Bowl? I mean, obviously, an incredible, incredible game. You had a great performance. Um, obviously, it didn't uh, work out for you guys in the end. But I mean, is is it something that you use as motivation? Of course, you know, the great opportunity, uh, the great, the great part of football, about football, and and still being able to have my legs, you know, be in this game, you know, be a contributor on a team. It's like we're gonna have another opportunity. There's always more ops, and I think uh, just just getting a taste of it um, was a blessing in itself. And you know, if I'm if I'm able to get it again, I, I think we know what to do uh, to to actually win the game now. So um, as long as I'm in it, I'm not gonna look at it as you know any type of regret or remorse. Just use it as motivation for another opportunity because there's a lot more opportunity out there. Yeah, let, let me ask you, what was it like? You know, kind of stepping onto the field for the first time in the Super Bowl because that is. That's the pinnacle, man. Like that's that's the best that football gets. And that was, you know, an incredible game. But like, was it was it pregame? Was it was out there when you were on your first snap, um, you know, during the game in and of itself? Like when did when did the Super Bowl experience kind of hit you in the face? Yeah. So what I usually do before a game, I try to put myself mentally in every, you know, sector that I'm gonna be in, every part of the game I'm gonna be in, you know, the walk-in, the putting my pads in my pants, my my shoulder pads, uh, my warm-up. And the Super Bowl is one of those things you can't really prepare for. <laughs> like as soon as I got out to the field, man, the cameras in your face, you know, tracking your every move, you know what I'm saying? So it's one of those things where the media and the coverage is real heightened. But um, once we started playing, it was just like another game, man. It really felt um, just like everything was had to be left out, out there on the line. You know, everything had to be left, left out there on the line. And, you know, our fans showed up, you know, Cincinnati fans, I would say, filled up the crowd more than the LA fans in LA. And yeah. That was, that was dope to see too. So it definitely made it feel like home. No, nah, man. I mean that, that Bengals fan base, they will travel. And uh, that was such just a, uh, a fun game, obviously uh, back and forth. Like, you know, when you, I guess, you know, you can go back to your time with the Cowboys and, you know, looking at where you are at this point in your career, like being able to represent these huge franchises and obviously the Bengals have had success in the past. And now you're part of them kind of rebuilding what they were able to do and make those Super Bowl appearances, you know, back in the eighties, like you're, you're playing for teams that have like huge history. There is like the weight of expectation on that as well. And like, do you take pride in that or do you try not to think about it? Oh, I take, I take a, a, an immense amount of pride of that, you know, uh, just these teams that have given me opportunity to show who I am, you know, more than anything. And, you know, when you talk about pride, you know, now we're starting to talk about San Jose, mm -hmm. Nigerian heritage, you know, that's really where my strength comes from. It's where, it's where I was born and raised and how my parents have raised me, the community communities I've been blessed to be a part of too, you know, that that's really where all my strength and, you know, my pride comes from. You know, I remember even before the game, uh, most kids say that the college they went to, and I'm, I'm, I'm proud to have gone to University of Colorado and I'm blessed, but I made a decision to say San Jose, California, just because I know the kids, you know, would love, there's not that much representation for us, you know, yeah. so, you know, the kids coming up now can see that someone who's from the same place that they are is playing in this, on, on one of the biggest stages in all of entertainment. So um, that's how much pride I have in the city of San Jose and uh, always thankful to the teams that have given me the opportunity to play. Yeah, man. I, you know, like I was saying, as we got started here, I was happy that 
San Jose in general is showing you some love. Um, you know, the earthquakes had you out earlier this year, and I thought that was really cool just to see the people, uh, you know, give you a round of applause and celebrate everything that you've been able to do. And now, you know, uh, tonight versus uh, uh, for the Sharks, that is, uh, going up against Calgary, everybody to be able to give you a, uh, you know, a nice round of applause as well and celebrate your accomplishments. Art, is it, you know, you're, you're kind of such a, uh, a driven dude, is it? Is it a little bit weird ever to have the fans cheering for you when you're not playing in in a game in and of itself? Like, is that is that a little bit hard for you, being as how humble you are? Are you kind of like, hey, man, like let's let's celebrate this because they're not just celebrating you; they're celebrating the fact that you are a product of San Jose. Yeah, it's definitely weird. I ain't gonna lie. Uh, I remember <laughs> the draft process. You know, they always tell you to say that you're the best player in the draft or the best corner in the draft. I was like, man, I can't do that. <laughs> that's that's the type of guy I am, but. Um, you know, at the end of the day, it's all love and more than anything, my parents and my, uh, some of my people are going to be there. So I'm sure they'll enjoy it, but, uh, yeah, you know, it's always a, a, a good thing when people are cheering for you rather than booing you. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> um, you know, I know that, uh, you've been very happy to see a lot of the, uh, diversity efforts that the NHL has been doing. And I, you know, I think that a lot of people look at the NHL and they see it as a, is a traditionally white sport with a lot of you know, just kind of white dudes out there on skates and not enough represent representation across the board. But, you know, that is something that the league has really made an, an emphasis out of the last couple of years to try and diversify and try and get more people of all backgrounds and especially working on the, the hockey is for everyone campaign to try and grow the sport. Yeah. I mean, if you think about, you know, high school and especially the high school that I was a part of, um, there's not a lot of, you know, hockey programs, so to say, but you know, people have to kind of go to clubs or, you know, kind of get sheltered into it. And just knowing that there's an opportunity to play, I think it's huge for all, all people of all sizes and, you know, sport in general, team sport in general, you know, everybody knows the benefits, you know, you're able to, you know, have a common goal with people from different backgrounds and, you know, kind of understand each other. It's always a benefit to everybody to play. So um, definitely a toast to NHL for doing those initiatives. So, so Bellerman wasn't coming at you when you were in high school trying to uh, tempt you to put on some skates with their club team? <laughs> See, I didn't even know they had a club team. But they were playing football. That's funny, man. Um, you know, I if I can ask you a little bit about, you know, just playing in, in the NFL, like, is there are there certain, you know, wide receivers that you uh, feel that you have a fun time playing against in terms of, like, that's a big name and you're going to shut them down? Or is there do you not look at it in terms of going up against a name or do you like zone coverage more because you can kind of come out of nowhere and pick off a pass? Like, how do you, how do you view things in the, in the course of a game? Like just, you know, like take me through some of, uh, some of your thoughts. It's definitely transformed throughout the years. You know, it definitely has transformed throughout the years. I think the corner position, you know, you have to kind of be a mercenary, you know, you have a definite goal. And if you succeed in this goal, it's going to heighten, you know, your team's chance of winning. And what I experienced this year is following, you know, the opposing team's best receiver. You know, that was a whole different world for me. And it, it led me to want to do it more. You know, I was, I was hungry for the next receiver. You know, now even looking at next year's schedule, I'm check, checking, with, okay, who has that receiver that I'm gonna be able to prove myself against, that I'm gonna be able to uh, knock off. Or if someone has gotten the best of me in the past, like, okay, like I need to, I need to, that, that game right there, I want, I, I want him. So it's one of those things where you just kind of, you know, you're always salivating for more, 
you know, and you know that all the eyes are on you. So you got to perform. And that's what the offseason is for, you know, constant training, uh, constant improvement so that when those times come, it's like practice. I appreciate your time. Looking forward to seeing you at the tank, man. Keep up the great work. Uh, at some point, I'm going to try and tempt you to come to play for the 49ers. But <laughs> I do want you to keep on killing it with the Bengals because I know you guys have unfinished business. Already, man. Much love. Again, that was Shinobe Awuzie joining us here on the Sharks Audio Network. Be sure to stay tuned for more special programming regarding Doug Wilson stepping down from his role as general manager of the San Jose Sharks. We've got Sharks pregame coverage coming up at 7 o'clock. For the San Jose Sharks, I'm Ted Ramey signing off.